the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Welcome back to the AV Profession. I am your host, Taylor Ryan Moore, and with me today is another very special episode. Erin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I am Erin Marmoran from Johns Hopkins University. I'm the IT manager for classroom technology on the Homewood campus, and I'm also the HUTMA vice chair and the um, host of the EdTech podcast. Cannot let, cannot forget about that. <laughs> we can't. We always got to promo each other's podcasts. This is why I said it's a special episode. It's another one of the podcast hosts joining on another podcast of our own. This is this is fun. It's merging the two worlds, as I like Absolutely. to say. So, so off the bat, I love a good icebreaker question. And as we are recording, it is Halloween, so I have to ask: um, in the, in your holiday in your holiday history, what has been your favorite costume you've ever dressed up as? Or what is your favorite costume you've seen someone dressed up as? That's a tough one because I love Halloween and I love, always loved dressing up. And then once I had my son, like I loved dressing him up. Um, so I've done a lot of really cool costumes for him over the last few years. I've done um, Foxy the Pirate Fox from um, Five Nights at Freddy's. And it even had a glowing eye. Super cool. Oh, that is very cool. And I also did a uh, paper mache head for um, a, a Fortnite character. It was the um, the pink bear. Why is the name escaping me right now? I wish I knew any of the characters' names from Fortnite. Otherwise, I'd help you. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about, the bear, yeah. So, And, of course, it'll come to me like right when I fall asleep tonight. But <laughs> but yeah, um, those those are like some of the most awesome things I did. Or like a Roblox mask I did. Ooh. That one was really cool too. Now that'd be fun. Oh. Honestly, that seems pretty fun because they're like all blocky and whatnot. So you got to like translate that to real life. Yeah. Ooh. I feel like in my long history of dressing up in costumes, I think there's two. I dressed up as Frankenstein this year for Halloween. So if you haven't seen it on my socials at underscore underscore Taylor Moore on Twitter. Don't forget to follow. Um, I dressed up as Frankenstein. And then my senior year of college, I dressed up as Arthur. Oh. So I had the sweater and then the ears and the shoes. And I was like, this is the best costume. It's very easy. I got like this lion's mane, but it had like the ears. So I cut off the main part and just had the ears. And I was like, this is the best costume I've ever worn. 10 out of 10. I love it. That's adorable. Well, I wish we could stick on this, the spooky themes for our entire episode, but uh, we got to talk about our other favorite love and activity, and that is AV. And so as I try to ask everyone on our podcast, sort of like your origin stories before getting into AV, I want to ask you, like, before you got into this industry and stayed here for a while, what was your uh, interest beforehand? Were you like going to college and you were like, I'm going to do AV, is it going to be technology related? Like, what's your pre-AV history? So, yeah, my pre-AV history was essentially um, I was going to college for biomedical computing. And then so as I, I needed a work study job, and so I ended up getting my work study job with the AV department because it wasn't food service. That was my one requirement. I was like, right, right. I need something. Don't want to do food service since I had 
That's very right? fair. <laughs> I, I'd kind of, I'd been a bus girl for, you know, a summer part-time job and mm, no thanks. So, um, the AV department was like, uh, sure. You, you know, you watch television, mm-hmm. like you can turn stuff on and off. Right. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. I think yeah. they essentially were like, we just want a girl to work with us <laughs> since they really didn't have any in the department. So I was like, really? all right, this is cool. And eventually um, I, through my college program, I realized uh, I don't really like programming. So I changed my major to illustration, which complete and opposite end of the spectrum. But what stayed constant was my work study job. And so then after graduation, you know, you, you start putting out your resume and in my case, putting out my portfolio and, you know, really weren't, wasn't finding anything full time, got a couple freelance gigs, but the, um, supervisor in my, you know, from my work study job, we had kept in touch and she was like, I'm moving on. They need somebody to fill in for me. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I can do that for a little while while I'm looking for something else. Right. And then, you know, a little while turns into just apply for the job full time. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, I can do this for a little while right. longer. And then I, um, you know, I was like, you know what? This is it. This is, I, I like doing this. I'm good at it. Um, and then my good friend programming came back around and I started going for my master's in IT. So I enjoyed doing that sort of programming a lot more with, you know, between web design and early days of streaming and so I, and then I started taking control system programming uh, classes and I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm going to stick with it. And I hadn't really thought about like, why, like, why, what was it that, you know, was so appealing um, until a few years ago Um when I was interviewing for someone to come work for me and they asked me like, why are you, why do you work here? Why, you know? And then I was like, Oh, I hadn't really thought about it. And I was like, this sort of stuff just, um, it kind of appeals to, uh, both sides of the brain. It can be very creative, but it can also be very analytical it's, you know, ones and zeros, especially now that things are very digital. So everything's, it's a one or a zero. It's, it's on or it's off. Um, but then there's kind of like audio has a very creative element to it and um, controls programming like that has a con- uh, creative to it, especially if you have uh, a little more flexibility with the user interface. Um, and there's just so much going on with it that there's a there could be something that just appeals to anybody in there and that's kind of what I really you know was like yeah this is it yeah can you sort of touch on um what those that early job was like like what is your you got to your job what was your day-to-day look like 
so when I first started, um, you know, it was more of just like a technician and mm-hmm. that most of the, uh, most of the work was pushing carts. Uh, we didn't have as much stuff installed in classrooms at that time. And so a lot of things were, uh, bringing in slide projectors or even 16 millimeter projectors, um, to Mm -hmm. show films and uh you know then it's you know it so that was basically it just like keeping the schedule making sure we're going to things sometimes there was like a um a tech on duty situation where i'd have to sit in the booth and um you know actually work through a class but um you know for the most part it was a lot of pushing around of carts and then it sort of evolved into we want to put stuff in classrooms because we're finding that this is now a trend people want to use things on a consistent basis this pushing Mm. carts around you know that model is no longer working we need to install right and so then it became part of you know part of my responsibilities to help decide what should we put into rooms and um you know, trying to be strategic about which rooms to put things in and what exactly is the need, Um, you know, and then it started to be how, you know, it became, um, well, you know, we need, we need student staff to support some of this, Mm -hmm. to support this stuff. Um, And so the student staff started growing. And so, you know, I started to supervise them. Um, and then it sort of evolved into, um, being, you know, trying to, you know, keep all the balance (laughs) with everything of Mm -hmm. between stuff that's being, has to be brought in, uh, to support a class, stuff that's installed in there. Um, and it was, uh, it was good. Have you always been at John Hopkins University? No. So I actually got my start. Um, I went to, I did my undergrad uh, studies at the Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. Okay. Um, Yes. uh, The department was called ETC, the Educational Technology Center. And yeah, so it was like tucked away in the basement of the library and it was um, paired up with the Media Resource Center. So mm-hmm. um, when I came to Johns Hopkins, um, they it was a d- bit of a different model to me because I was used mm-hmm. to being some under the library, whereas at Johns Hopkins, the um, classroom technology was out of the IT department. Since um, they basically saw it that way because of the computers that were in in the, a lot of the the systems. So, and when I came to Hopkins, um, the job was essentially to support one building. It was one building um, full of general pool classrooms, and every mm-hmm. room was a smart room, <laughs> uh, as as they used to call them. What does a smart room even mean? You know, it had the touch panel interface and a document camera. And some of them had uh, telestrators in 
that really didn't work very well. <laughs> but so that was that that was the joy of of the job was just, um, you know, at the beginning of classes, I kind of had to run around and make sure that everybody was was going. And um, we actually even carried pagers. <laughs> we, we actually used oh, wow. pagers up until probably 2000. Ten. Oh, <laughs> it was a, it was kind of one of those long past its prime. <laughs> we were, and even though it was like so low tech, it kind of just worked because um, instructors could press a button um, on either of our um, control systems because we at the time we had like two different flavors, um, and they could just push a help button, and that would trigger a page to the technicians that were working, and then we just see where it came from and went running away. So it's, it's been interesting to see the evolution of support. So, you know, we went from just pushing a button to, you know, now it's, everybody has phones like on them. So mm -hmm. now it's a, it's a phone call and we can actually walk people through, you know, troubleshooting as opposed to yeah. having to potentially make the, the track across campus. Because, you know, when I started here, in um 2004 there was mm -hmm. you know like 15 smart classrooms that were general pool essentially and then it each year it grew a little bit and grew a little bit until now we have 90 plus rooms um and that doesn't even include all of the departmental spaces that have installed technology in them that we tend to help out with and um, all of the mm -hmm. zoom carts and all that stuff. So it's, it's nice now <laughs> that we can actually do a lot of remote administration on them and remote help to try to fix things without having to be like, okay, we'll be there in five minutes because, or more depending on what part of the campus we have to run to. Right. Oh, I was curious because like, it seems like, you've seen a lot of technology evolution just throughout of all of like the classrooms and whatnot. And like, even from when I was in college and that was like, not that long ago, I feel like all these classrooms are just so updated with technology. So what's been like the biggest shift in classroom technology? Like what's like some tools and solutions that you can think would be utilized in the classroom? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because um, I don't know if it was an AV and AM or um like an AV challenge or something. There was once a question that was posed to kind of the AV community in general. What would you say was like the, you know, the biggest game changer? And I felt in higher ed, the biggest game changer was the LCD projector. Uh, because that really was what allowed us to put projection in a lot of spaces. Um, the earlier you know, it was really the only, only this, the only big, big spaces had projectors installed in them. And they were like those big three, uh, three gun CRT projectors that took forever to realign if it got bumped or, and so, you know, the LCD projector was really what kind of like made, um, higher ed AV, like what kind of what it is now. Um, uh, but it, I think, there is so there are so many things that just like 
like were tough to get rid of, like the overhead projector, um, the old transparency style, um, which every, every once in a while we still get a request for it. And they're like, you do realize that we can bring in a document camera and it'll do the same exact thing. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want that. Like, no, no, I want the, I want the translucent. I want that on the screen. That old school just <laughs> sitting there writing away on their transparencies. Um, and there were also the uh, LCD panels that would go on top of an overhead projector that you'd connect a laptop to and project through the uh, overhead onto the screen. And it was just low res, just really, you had to have a really bright projector or overhead for it to right. even work. Um, and even then you were kind of like crossing your fingers, like, is this going to work today or not? You're like fingers crossed, hoping. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the technologies that I was glad to see go away. <laughs> Um, cause at least then the LCD projectors came out and it was like, okay, they're, they're way more dependable. Let's, let's use those instead. Cause those panels that sat on top were just, oh, not great. Um, and, uh, one, of, I think one of the biggest challenges, uh, has been, or was getting rid of VGA. Uh, you would have thought that when the industry basically was like there's the analog sunset we are not putting these uh you know we're not putting these connectors on our products anymore um that would have been that and we'd be like okay this date came we can start pulling the stuff out of classrooms no we um we were like everybody hdmi but that vga just would always kept creeping up we're like we need that we still need that like, <laughs> do you really do you? So let's reconsider that. It's time to get a new laptop if you right, still right, right. need it. Well, I know you mentioned earlier that you are a part of HETMA. So for those of us who may not be familiar with what the organization is, can you sort of give like a what the organization is and what specifically you do for the organization? Yeah. So yeah, HETMA has become kind of my my favorite, you know, side project essentially. Um, it is the Higher Education Technology Managers Alliance. It, it is in essentially a nonprofit advocacy group for higher ed AV by higher ed AV. Um, and we, you know, we strive to provide um, education opportunities and networking ops and so that we can empower our membership to kind of, um, you know, grow our influence in this, in the industry. And, you know, um, we have had a lot of members who, through, you know, their involvement with HUTMA, um, kind of have the tools to improve their uh, professional situation. So they've gotten uh, promotions, you know, where they work, or they've ended up going for, um, you know, a higher level job at a different university. And it's, it really seems to be paying off pretty well. And, um, you know, we've got, um, so my current role is as the vice chair. I had, when we had, when Hutma had their first elections for the, um, the board and chairs, I was elected the two-year at-large member for the executive board. And, um, and then this 
past June at Infocom, I was um, then moved into the vice chair role, which was super exciting. Super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's really, it's been great in that I can kind of, because it's a relatively new organization, I've been fortunate enough that I can kind of really pick and choose sort of the where I can help and where I can have the most impact. And Mm -hmm. so in the beginning, I was kind of, I was on every committee. Everything that we we were doing, I wanted to be part of. I wanted to help out with the conferences and the um, membership and especially the um, DEI um, committee uh, that was when we were really starting to build up the PRISM scholarship. And so now I've kind of tried to take a step back and like, okay, a little, you know, <laughs> being part of everything um, is probably not beneficial to anybody. Like, so I'm trying to concentrate a little bit more on like the specific initiatives that, um, you know, that could use, you know, that really needs m- my attention more. So, um, mm-hmm. of course, I'm st- I was definitely D- the DEI um, initiatives of my you know, one of my, you know, important, favorite and important parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently we have, uh, we announced a partnership with SAVE, which is uh, sustainability in AV. And, um, you know, it, it's really, it, it's become, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about, you know, what kind of role that um, AV plays in, in, sustainability in general and Mm -hmm. so it's been really eye-opening to kind of become partners with save so that we can you know higher ed really especially you know in higher ed in general can really make an impact in um in in sustainability efforts um just purely in education and kind of getting the word out but, you know, in AV, we have such a big opportunity to help because, you know, making better decisions with what we do with our equipment and what we're putting in rooms, what we're taking out of rooms and what's happening to that equipment. Like, we we can pay lip service to, you know, to the um, – that initiative and be like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're e-cycling or we're doing this or that. But, um, you know, it's, it's important to kind of just get the word out and Mm -hmm. that there are options out there. And, um, one of saves initiatives is, um, second life. And so what they are trying to do is then collect, um, work with, organizations to collect AV equipment and find other home, a second home for it essentially so that a lot of the equipment we take out of classrooms is still perfectly usable. But um, so it'd be nice to have a mechanism that we can let them, you know, let the equipment live longer and have another purpose and, you know, save some space in the Mm -hmm. landfill. 
Well, what has been some of the one of the most rewarding parts since joining Hema? Like what's like you look back and you're like, I am most proud of this or I'm happy that I was a part of this. I mean, besides the the Prism Scholarship, I think that's that has been like super uh, rewarding in, you know, and currently, you know, there are there are nine recipients who have received this um, scholarship opportunity. And if dear listeners, if you haven't heard the. Prism Scholarship is a um, is for uh, higher ed AV um, people who are um, part of a diverse community or identify as being part of a diverse community, and they that gives them a um, an Avixa Elite membership so that they can study. Uh, and learn all of the things and the end goal essentially is to um, get them to a point where they can take the CTS exam Um, and we have partnered each of them up with a HETMA mentor Mm -hmm. to help guide them through this journey and then we will um, take care of the fees associated with taking the CTS exam and also um, a trip to Infocom so that they can have that experience and with the hopes that the they will, you know, stay in AV, especially higher ed. Right, right, right. But, but yeah, and it's been we're hope we know that it's, you know, it's nine people. It it's not a it's not a lot. Like, and we're hoping to do this um, you know, each year. Mm-hmm. And that you know that little bit could potentially grow more and more so that we'll you know we will have you know more of a diverse population in av because you know it's it's now it's starting as a little drip but hopefully it'll ripple out to make a, a bigger impact right so as we start Closing down the show and we start winding down, I start asking my favorite question is um, for someone who is looking to get into AV, doesn't know where to start, um, and wants to get involved somehow, what is like the perfect advice you would give them? Or at least advice you would have liked to have been given before being in this industry? I think in the beginning, I would have, I would have appreciated having a mentor. Um, Mm. So that's my, one of like my, one of my biggest pieces of advice to people. if you know if you want to be successful in AV in general i think it helps to have you know to have somebody who can help guide you and point you in the right direction and you know and maybe even just kind of encourage a little bit and kind of make you not make, not make you do things but just kind of help you push your boundaries a little bit where you may not have may not have done things you know yeah. on your own but um, it would have, yeah, I think I may have, you know, made some different choices in my career or tried advancing sooner or just, you know, I really appreciate the mentorship that I have now with, um, with a couple of different people and it's, you know, it really has benefited me quite a lot. And that was, that's one of the big benefits of Hatma too, is just meeting like-minded people who will encourage you to kind of do more and be more, but yeah. And, but education, like not, it doesn't have to be formal, like 
don't, you know, you know, there's no AV, you know, bachelor's degree or anything, but like take advantage of any and all education opportunities that come, you know, come across your plate. Like um, James King from uh, UNLV, he always says, always be learning. And it's, I absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Like Mm -hmm. just all the, all the webinars, all the, you know, manufacturer uh, education and whatnot. It's all good stuff. Take advantage of it. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being a part of this show. Um, if anyone wants to get involved with HEPMA, how can they do so? Yeah. So if you are in higher ed AV, um, head to HEPMA.org and sign up to be a member. And if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how can they do so? Yeah, so um, you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn at Aaron Mar Moran. And I'm also on Twitter. And my handle is at Smirin underscore off underscore ice. Nice. And you can also catch Aaron as the host of EdTech here on AV Nation. You can catch full episodes here on our website, or you can head over to our YouTube channel, Thank everyone for listening to The AV Profession. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Taylor Moore, double underscore Taylor Moore. It's two underscores. It's underscore underscore Taylor Moore. And then be sure to check out more content like this over on our YouTube channel and be sure to subscribe. And for more content like this, head over to avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv.